it is a real joy uh, to worship with you and to gather with you. Um, it's a great honor to, to be a leader on a team of people that are phenomenal, that not only have phenomenal skill, but have phenomenal heart. Uh, and I, I can say that from our tech team and those who work in eKids. I'm not walking the halls here, seeing all of our kids and denting the stage. It's awesome. Yeah, that's a bummer. Okay. <laughs> so, um, just that we got a great team. And I want to thank all of you who volunteer, maybe give up a Sunday to, to kind of help us in different areas around here. So just thanks for that. I know it takes energy on your part. You're kind of helping set the table for people who call Elements Home and those who might be visiting the guests with us. And if you're guests with us, it's a real honor to have you here. We're wrapping up a series we've been in called Weapons of Self-Destruction. Uh, some things, some attitudes, some choices, some habits, some things that we can kind of battle that end up kind of sideswiping us in life. And tonight, I want us to kind of explore one that um, is a little more silent. We've kind of looked at anger, and we've looked at uh, just how distractions, how that play a significant part in our life. Uh, I, we've seen things with um, fear and how fear can kind of sideswipe us and get us stuck in life. And tonight, I want to kind of look at a silent destructive reality of choices that we can make. Either things that get spoken into our life that we end up accepting to be true that aren't really true, or things that we begin to kind of speak into our own life because of how things have unfolded in our, in our lives around us, we begin to adopt them as true when in reality they may not be true. They're, they're myths so to speak. They may have an ounce of truth to it that is good for us to wrestle with, but there's a lot of it that kind of digs deeper into our heart and takes us to a place where it begins to kind of sideline us in life, and it affects the relationships around us, and, and we'll get to where we're going, but I want you to think about myths. Uh, how many of you like to chew gum? Okay, a few of you. Uh, how many of you were told never to swallow your gum because it would never digest, it would take how many years? Forever, man, your mom was rough. Uh, my mom told me seven years, it would take seven years to digest and so you never wanted to swallow gum. Anyone like really wrestle with that, you never swallowed gum because you're like, I, I don't want to have that happen. So you believe that, that's not true, by the way. Uh, you're a doctor, I'm anyway. Um, <coughs> so these, these myths that we have, how about uh, cracking your knuckles? You're always told, don't crack your knuckles, it'll lead to what? Arthritis. Again, not totally provable that that's true, uh, but it's something that we kind of believe, or how about, don't sit close to the TV, you'll get what? You'll go blind, I heard. I, I don't know if my mom was just mean uh, or not, but I heard that. Uh, you'll go blind, and you might get a headache, but you're not gonna go blind. Uh, how about the one of, let's see, don't, don't drink coffee when you're young because it will, what? See, people. <sighs> it's true. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> um, it's just how God made me. Um, but we, you know, you can drink coffee, but it may not be the best for you when you're young and all those things, but sometimes we can allow things in life. We can allow circumstances, and then we can actually give leverage to the enemy we can give leverage to other people. We can give leverage even to, to ourself and our own self-talk to begin to speak things into our lives that aren't true, but we begin to adopt them as true. 
and it begins to shade how you live and impact how you see the world and how you interact with the world. And, and if you dig deep enough, this begins to lie at the root of shame. And shame is something that has haunted a lot of people. In fact, shame can come in an instant and it can linger for a lifetime. And for some of you here, if it was just you and me at Starbucks and we could actually just have a simple conversation, uh, you might unpack part of your past and you might have some things that you have running around in your mind that begin to say, you know what, uh, this isn't just about guilt, this is about I feel ashamed. I, I feel shame that I carry around, I lug it around, it's like this luggage that I can't unpack. And if we could be honest, I wonder how much of that may actually be true or may not be. Uh, Brene Brown writes this, we all have it. Shame is universal and one of the most primitive human emotions. See, when sin entered the world, go back to Genesis 3, and we're not gonna do a whole uh, sermon on this, but the idea of Genesis 3, uh, the perfect conditions, and God says, here, don't eat from this one tree, right? You can eat from all the trees, and the enemy kind of comes along and says, well, didn't God say you can't eat from anything? And he's like, just twisting the words, and all of a sudden, they make a choice, and they're choosing, and sin enters this picture, they've rebelled against God, so we know better, and all of a sudden, their eyes are open. Innocence is lost, and they make coverings for themselves because they're like, wow, uh, we haven't done P90X yet, and so like, we just gotta cover ourselves. And so they're hiding, and God comes walking in the cool of the garden, and he's calling out to humanity. Where are you? Where are you? It's the first time God's searching. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God who searches for people who are even trying to hide? And it wasn't just about guilt in that moment. It began to go deeper. See, guilt is I've violated, uh, I've created, I've had an action of regret. I've violated some kind of relationship, some kind of law, something that was established and set up. I, I've created or committed an offense. I've wronged someone. I, I have a feeling of broken responsibility and I have remorse for my action. That's guilt. But shame begins to dig deeper. In fact, shame uh, begins to attack your identity. It begins to attack who you are, not just an action or a relationship that was fractured. It begins to dig much deeper. See, guilt you can own, but if you don't resolve that, if you don't deal with that, if you can't take that somewhere and you begin to just lug that around more and more and begin to believe more and more and you never get that resolved, it could begin to dig deeper. See, shame needs secrecy to survive. And shame begins to dig at our character, begins to, uh, to lead us to places of blame. That's what happens in Genesis 3. It's the first blame game. Well, if you hadn't put her here, I wouldn't have done it. Well, if you wouldn't have, it's just, and it's all this blame game that's going on. And it's because it's going deeper. It's beginning to dig into attacking identity. See, shame can happen in a mere moment, even in our context. Shame can pop up at work when your boss talks you down in front of other people. And everything in you wants to lash back and everything in you wants to come to your own defense. But you begin to feel a sense of embarrassment. And this wasn't just a violation of something you did wrong that you could own and move on. You don't do that and it begins to eat away at you on the inside, and pretty soon, it wasn't just that I did a mistake, 
I am a mistake. And the, the language begins to change and, and the tapes that begin to run in your own head. See, shame can happen at home when a spouse or a sibling or a friend begins to call your bluff and refuses to give you love and attention until you own how bad you really are. Whoa. We just went from like fractured relationship and in, in discourse to something much, much deeper. Shame can happen in an instant as we step on a scale and we realize the numbers that are staring back at us, somehow we've given them an authority over us to speak into our value and our worth. See, shame begins to attack identity. It begins to dig deep. It can stare back at you as you look and comb your hair in the mirror and all you hear is the conversations happening between your ears of all the ways that you won't measure up and you'll never get it right. And shame can be haunting. It can arrive in a moment and its tapes can linger for years after years, can it? It's amazing how it can begin to define us. It's amazing how we can even begin to own that and begin to live that out. We begin beating ourselves up. No one ever bettered themselves by beating themselves up. That's why the Bible always talks about it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his grace that's extended to us, that meets us, that he's pulling us towards something better. Lewis Smedes wrote a book called Shame and Guilt, talking about how guilt and shame are kind of similar common core, but it's really about the direction it takes you of where it goes. That guilt has a purpose and it has a benefit to it when we begin to live with it, but, can, but it really boils down to guilt or shame taking you on a different course and where it goes. He says this, the difference between shame and guilt is actually very clear. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilty because they did something wrong. A person feels shame because they are something wrong. We may feel guilty because we lied to our mother. We may feel shame because we are not the person our mother wanted us to be. And it begins to dig deep. And this may even seem counterintuitive when you begin to look at the Bible and what the Bible has to say about guilt and conviction that comes into our lives, that guilt is actually can be seen as a gift from God. Can be seen as a gift because it, it pulls us to say there's something that I regret, there's something that's skewed, there's something that's violated relationally or, or something that is acted upon that I need to make right and God's allowing the conviction, maybe the Holy Spirit to kind of pull on our hearts to say let's get this right. Let's make this right. Let's not let this own us. But shame is a regret that says, I feel at my very core that God made a mistake when he made me. That I can never be accepted by him. That I'm unfixable. I'm unlovable. I'm unrepairable. I'm damaged goods. And shame is silent. It's never broadcast. It's what you feel when you're alone in your room and you're trying to fall asleep. And that's when those tapes begin to run. It's not in the crowds. It's not in the commotion of life. It's in the stillness. 
See, guilt invites us and calls us toward confession, calls us to repentance, to make things right, to, to get things back in alignment, to aim our life in that direction. But shame says, no, let's aim your life in this direction where you become buried emotionally. You, you become depressed. You become this person who is under attack, that you are a mistake, and begins to attack your character. And worse than that, it begins to attack the character of the one whom he made you, who knit you together, who created you beautifully, who wired you together with great intricacy and bestowed upon you great beauty and said, you're worth pursuing. That's what God says. But shame begins to attack even the character of God. Surely God's not like that with me. I'm a leftover, I'm a passerby. See, guilt invites us to something that can work toward our good. Shame tries to pull us away to something that will never work to our good. Shame is a lie from the pit of hell. And we need to own that and recognize that when we begin to see those tapes in our own head. When we begin to, to see, see some of you may have grown up where shame and guilt were just kind of like common uh, a currency in your house, where it handed out like candy. And for that, I'm really sorry. See, what happened to you, what happens to all of us, is we get to a place where we all have to fill in the blank. And no matter what we do in life, whether it's a sport, whether it's a hobby, whether it's our occupation, whether, whatever you want to boil it down to, you're always kind of measuring yourself and you're trying to fill in the blank. I am good at this. I, I'm, I'm mediocre at this. I, I'm, I'm lovable. I'm accepted here. I, I'm approved here. And we begin to fill out and fill in the blank in life. We try to put our arms around it, try to get to a place where we begin to, to understand, but see, shame has a way of saying, no, I'm gonna fill in the blank for you. And shame begins to shout. Never out loud, where other people hear, but out loud deep within your spirit, within your core of who you are. And begins to shout things like, I'm stupid. I'll never understand this. I can't get my mind around it. I can't do it. Look, if that's your accounting class, that's okay, I dropped mine too. Um, but if that's about your character, that's way different. If it's about who you are, it begins to drill much, much deeper. I'm useless. I'm unaccepted. I'm unlovable. I can't believe I'm this age and I'm not married yet. Or I don't have a significant other. Or I have all these string of relationships that have just gone sideways and have just kind of torpedoed them all the time. And all of a sudden, shame begins to speak, it begins to shout, it begins to try to fill in that blank with something that is a myth. That's not even true. That, but sometimes, if we're not careful, we begin to grab hold of it, and we begin to make it true, to own it as such. I'm not spiritual enough. Yeah, I go to church every Sunday, but do you see that person in the second row? I mean, they got their Bible, they're taking notes. I just, I'm, I'm not that. I'm checking the score on my phone. I just, I'm not spiritual enough. And begin to fill in different things. We begin to say, okay, uh, it's always gonna be this way. I'm a disappointment to my family. I'm the black sheep. 
of my family. And we begin to own an identity, it begins to attach itself to who we are, and begins to shout into our lives. And the truth, friends, of what we need to understand is what the Bible speaks to us so much and so often from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout, over and over. It answers this question. Who has the right to speak into your life and to fill in the blank? How you answer that question matters. Who has the right to speak into your life and to fill in the blank for you? And see, your creator begins to say things through scripture. Psalm 25 is all starts off with this, the psalmist declaring, those who look to you, God, are never put to shame. Those who begin to understand how you see them, how you pursue us, how you have created value and established worth within who I am. See, the Bible over and over begins to speak that God gets to fill in this blank for you that God gets to speak into your life and speak into my life and to say, I declare what gets spoken into that place, what gets to, to be around. And I want you to look in Romans chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight is a great chapter. In fact, this week the challenge, the invitation for you is very simply this. I would love for you to spend some time, maybe daily, if you can't do it daily, at least once this week, just to read through Romans chapter eight and allow the Holy Spirit, allow God, whether you're a true follower of Jesus, whether you're just here and you're like, hey, preacher guy, I'm just curious about this whole thing. I got invited, promised dinner, it was cool. Um, great, read Romans eight and just begin to, to wonder. Answer the question for yourself. Who gets the right to speak into your life, to speak into my life and to fill in the blank for you? Is it just you? Is it the people who are closest to you? Is it others? And who are you listening to? Who, who, when you close your eyes, when you stand in front of the mirror and no one else is around and the tapes begin to, to roll, whose voice is there? Is it yours? Is it someone else's? In Romans chapter eight, for those who have come to a place who've trusted in Jesus and said, I'm gonna align my life with Jesus and what he did, his life, his death, his resurrection, I'm all in with him. This is what Romans eight begins with. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can be out of Christ Jesus, you can be a fan of Jesus, you could be a person who looks at Jesus' life and go, okay, he's a great teacher, he's a good moral dude, he's you know, a healer, he was, he was all those things. That doesn't mean you're in Christ. In Christ is when you come to a place and you say, look, I'm going all in on Jesus. I, I'm putting all my eggs into his basket, what he did, what his life was about, and this whole idea of the crucifixion, the resurrection, I'm going all in. I may still have questions, but the best I know how, I'm choosing to let him be the leader of my life, and not just me anymore. And you've gotta to come to the place where you wrestle with that question. Man, I don't know where you are, but it's important for you to know where you are. Because if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. See, when shame shows up in your life, you can open to Romans 8, 1 and say, Phew, I don't have to listen to that tape. I don't have to give 
leverage to that person or to myself that's beginning to take me down a road that wants to sink me, that's destructive in my life. I can simply say, I don't stand underneath condemnation anymore thanks to Jesus. I stand free. I'm loved. The verses kind of go on all throughout this. It's just this play. What Paul's writing here in, in to, the, to the people of Rome is he's understanding. See, what you have to understand in the Roman culture is they understood slavery. It, it was very much a part of their story. And, and the Romans had a very low value on life. Very low. To the point that in the first, second century even, that the people who had a child with a, maybe a birth defect or, or a handicap or so, or they just didn't want them, could literally take a child down. And we got our own story of that going on now. But could take their child and throw them in the river. And no one would bat an eye. That's how low human life was valued. And so shame was kind of rampant. When you have no value for life, then no one matters, not even you, unless you finally made it to the upper echelon. And so Paul is speaking to a people who have that as a backdrop, and he's saying, look, you don't stand under condemnation anymore. You used to be a slave to the desires and patterns of this world and to everything that was pulling you every kind of different direction. But skip down to verse 14, 15. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, we are loved. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the, what, children of God. You now have this value. The Spirit you receive now makes you, uh, no longer makes you slaves. Now you live in, don't have to live in fear, but rather the Spirit you receive through your adoption into sonship or daughtership, you get to cry, Abba, Father, to God. I know friends who have adopted someone. Maybe you have friends, the people that have adopted someone. And what's the beautiful part of that, when I showed up at the park one day and, and my friends are adopting their little daughter. And 30 minutes before, their daughter was a friend of the family. She got good gifts, she had nice things happening, and there was, but that's all they were. But 30 minutes into the ceremony, they sign a piece of paper, and here's what happens in that moment. Instantly, her life is forever changed. Forever changed. Because now she's a part of the family. She has all the rights that the family has, all the property, everything the family has access and resource to, she now has access and resource to. Everything changed for her. And Paul's writing to a people who have a low standard of value. And what he's saying is you are now adopted into God's family. And like God owns a lot. He's rich. And now you're part of his family. He is rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. He is rich in his relationship. He is rich in his attention and in his affection. And you are now adopted into this family. You are now co-heirs, it says. And over and over, he's speaking to identity. God gets the right as the creator of the universe and the creator of you to hopefully have the most leverage possible 
to be the one who speaks into your life and who fills in the blanks. So the question really becomes to wrestle with, who am I letting do that? Who am I letting to fill in the blank for me? See, because when you read through the rest of Romans chapter eight, and I encourage you to do that this week, you begin to see that God's speaking in, he's filling in the blanks, and he's saying, you are loved. You are loved. You are cherished, and you are chosen. You are treasured. You are accepted. You are noticed, and you're known. You're not a a number to God. It's not a secret thing. You are now adopted into his family. Those who have chosen to put their faith and go all in with Jesus. You are free. You are no longer condemned by your past. That past, that luggage you've been lugging around, you can let it go. You don't have to. It's up to you, but you no longer have to carry that. You had someone carry that for you all the way to the cross and die in your place and to rise again so that you don't have to carry that anymore. That you are saved. God scooped you up and he rescued you unto himself. You are being transformed. You are not what you once were and you may not be where he has you yet, but you are on your way there. The work he started, he promises to finish, and God always finishes what he starts. You're in process. See, through the gospel, God shouts his truthful and life-giving love over the lies of our shame. And that's what shame is. It's lies. It's it's lies that want to take us to a place and attack our identity and attack even your creator's identity who knit you together. I remember doing a funeral. Uh, of a young man, early 20s, who I'd known for a long time, who had gotten to a place where no matter what his friends or what his family had tried to do, began to live accepting some lies and untruths about himself, that he just got to a place where he chose not to wake up one day. And he made a one-time decision that had a forever impact on his sisters, and on his brother, and on his parents, and on his friends. And I'm here to tell you, friends, if you have ever come to that place where you've contemplated that, there is a better way. There is. It may not feel like it. You may not be able to see it in that moment. But trust me, there is. You don't have to let the voices and the turmoil within you have the last word of who fills in the blank. Because God says, I want to fill that in for you. I want to get you to a place where you begin to see it. Shame is a lie from the pit of hell. And it begins to drag you down to places where no one wants to be. But God has a way of saying, I wanna fill in the blank for you. I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, the End It movement. Um, Passion did a, uh, a part of their conference a couple years ago, uh, did some expressions of that. End It movement is a, a movement all about ending uh, traf- human trafficking, slavery around the world. 
And uh, every year around the springtime, I believe, they, um, they talk about uh, just trying to raise awareness. And what they do is they, they ask you to put like a red X on your hand. And it's kind of their symbol, it's their logo type thing. And they just talk about trying to raise awareness to that. And tonight, I wanna invite you to maybe try something. Really practical, may feel weird. But I want you to kind of draw a line on your hand to kind of represent this idea of who gets to speak into my life. There's a lot of blanks in life as you navigate through life. If they're all gonna be there for each one of us at different places, different seasons, different stages of life. And you can either fill it in with something that's rattling around in you, or you can say, I want to let God begin to fill in those blanks for me, to begin to speak into my life. And so at the communion tables, as we take communion in a little bit, there's a couple down here on the stage. I've got black markers and red markers that if you want space and time to do that, and maybe it's just gonna linger with you for this week, and it's simply saying, okay, I'm gonna, I I just wanna see this as a reminder of who am I letting leverage into my life? Who am I actually letting speak into my life? And I'm gonna choose to let God be the one with the most leverage. I'm gonna let him be the one where his voice is loudest, where I give the most credibility to what he says, not what others say, and not even to what my own self-talk wants to go through. Then I am not condemned by my past. I am forgiven, and I am being healed, and I am being made whole in who I am. See, shame has a long way of, of trying to pull us away from God, but God's love, what he shouts, in his life and the way that he lived and all throughout scripture is Jesus proclaiming something radical. You're loved. Not because of what you do, not based on who you are, what status you have that you happen to be born into, but simply because he created you and he pursued you. See, the beauty of the gospel is that God knew you were broken before you knew you were broken before I knew I was broken. And the beauty of Genesis 3 is that that wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't just trying to hide from God and shame enters the picture. Is God put in motion a plan of redemption. And here's what he did. He said, I'm not gonna just send you paperwork that you read and you try to figure it out on your own. I'm gonna actually send you myself. And I'm gonna live among you. And the light came into the darkness, John chapter one says. And he lived among us and he set up residence here. But people liked the darkness, so they turned toward it. But to all who do believe in him, they have the right to become a child of God. They get the right to receive. It's John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but find everlasting life. God loved, so God gave. And if you believe, you get to receive the benefit of that. You get to be adopted into God's family. And there is no condemnation now for those who are in God's family. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that our whole identity gets changed and morphed into something that is so much better and so much bigger and so much brighter. 
And here's the simple invitation for you tonight. If you sit here and you've been around church, you've been around spirituality, you've been around this Jesus guy, but you've been a fan, then tonight is your night to choose. Do I wanna be a fan of Jesus or do I wanna be a follower? And there's a major difference there. And maybe for you it's simply saying, God, I wanna put my life and my trust into you. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment and I'm gonna invite you right where you're at to pray that along with me. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just kinda say it right along with me. We're all gonna close our eyes in just a few moments. And, And for the rest of you, as we move toward a time of communion, I really want you to wrestle with who's filling in the blanks in your life. Who have you given leverage to? Are there any lies that are circulating around within you that the Holy Spirit even now is saying, look, that's a lie, you've been believing that for a long time. I want you to believe something better and something different about yourself and I wanna speak into you and that you'd open up your heart to that. And so, um, kind of with all of us, I'm just gonna invite us to kind of close our eyes, just think and to kind of pause. We'll create some space and some silence right here of just giving you time to think and to contemplate. Often we can run in here and then we can run out and it's the blur of everything that happens. But I wanna invite you If tonight you're saying, I wanna move from being a fan to a follower, I wanna actually let God have the most leverage in my life, and I wanna submit my life to him. I recognize I'm broken, I recognize that my sin separates me from God, and I'm tired of that separation. That you would say, today's the day. And maybe you would simply pray with me. Jesus, I recognize that I'm broken that I'm a sinner and I carry around a lot of shame and I wanna open my heart to receive you and I wanna thank you for carrying my shame to the cross and you dealt with it and you left it there. You paved a way for me to be made right with God, to have life with him and I choose to accept that simply because you offer it as a gift and you ask me if I want it. And I say yes tonight. And if you prayed that, then I wanna celebrate with you. That's a big deal to get to a place where you align your life with Jesus. For the rest of us here, our eyes are closed and we're just, we're contemplating, okay, have we been out of alignment with God? There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 continues. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, will he not also give us graciously all the things we need? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Who shall separate me from the love of God? No one. And so as we move toward taking communion, I want you to to carry that with you. And maybe tonight you're gonna take a moment and you're gonna just write a line representing the blanks of life 
And maybe for you who find yourself having made a decision to follow Christ a long time ago, maybe this is just a reminder to write that again and to say, God, I wanna give you permission to be the loudest voice in my life. And for those of you who maybe prayed tonight for the very first time, I wanna invite you to do the same thing. But for you, it's new, it's fresh. And for you walking out of here tonight, it's God, I'm now walking life. You're the one who's now gonna have the voice in my life. And would you help me the best I know how to aim my life in your direction? And so, if you're here tonight, I'm just gonna say a prayer for us, a blessing for us. We're gonna take communion and we're gonna sing. Uh, and then we're gonna share a couple things and, and end with a final song. That's where we're going. But if you prayed to, to receive Christ tonight, to kind of place your trust and your faith in him, I really wanna celebrate with you. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you a Bible. I'm gonna be down here in the front, uh, front left, your right. I would love just to, to connect with you. And so if that's you, you join me down there. And for the rest of us, now you got some space where the band's gonna play for a little bit. You don't have to rush to communion, uh, but there's communion tables in the front and the sides here and down, uh, down front. I invite you to maybe take a moment of, for yourself to kind of own where you are in your faith journey. And so God, I pray that in these next few moments and these songs and these worship uh, moments, would you meet us? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to stir our hearts in a fresh way Maybe there's a lot of voices we've been giving credence to and a lot of outside people we've been letting have leverage into our life. And God, we want to make sure that you're the first and foremost of that. And so we commit to you this week. Would you allow us to open our ears and our hearts to what you want to speak into us, that that might be the shaper and definer of our identity not other things, but you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.